Mike Costa, thank you very much. I am excited. I'm fired up. So thank you for getting me fired up. It is, uh, it's been a great journey uh, with Mike because I remember when he was doing that and I'd see this guy in the back and I'm like, dang, there he goes again. He is like ninja quick uh, to leave. Uh, but it's been great because he transferred from being like ninja quick to being like just Yoda, like just very slow very methodical. And uh, I remember Mike got baptized, I think it was four years ago, and it was a great privilege to hold Mike under the water. Held him under usually a little bit longer than normal. But, uh, uh, and then the great privilege of uh, Mike met his wife, uh, Jen, here in the community, and then doing their wedding, I think almost two years ago to the date, pretty close. So it's been uh, fun watching his journey. Um, you know, we just had a uh, pretty powerful time of worship. And when I say worship, I'm worship through song. And um, it just kind of struck me as we were singing, uh, you know, the, the, the music is great, but really what hit me uh, today in at least a new way uh, was the only reason that the music is great is because we actually have something to sing about. I don't know if you ever found yourself like listening to the radio or just driving along and you're just singing this song in the car and then like two minutes and you're like, what the heck am I even singing? These lyrics are just ridiculous. Why am I singing Taylor Swift, whatever the song might be? But as I was sitting here this morning, I was just like, wow, the music is great, but the reason it's great is because we actually have someone to sing to and someone that loves and cares uh, about us. And so I was just really encouraged by that this morning. And um, I hope just by your time so far with us that you have been encouraged. Uh, my name's Michael, as uh, Mike mentioned. I serve as the pastor here. And uh, this morning, we're going to do something a little bit different. We have been slowly walking through uh, a series in the story of Acts. And uh, today would have been day or week 23, 24. Uh, but we're going to take a pause. We're going to take a time out from the series of Acts. And this morning, I'm really excited to share with you something that I have been learning recently about the divine foot. Uh, I've been learning a ton about the divine foot. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever had any encounters with the divine foot before, but I have had many, many encounters with the divine foot. I just didn't realize that was what was actually happening at the time. Um, now, if you're already thinking, what on earth is the divine foot? I'm honestly not sure if there's a simple answer to that question of what is the divine foot, other than just to tell you how I came to learn about the divine foot in my life about a month ago. Uh, so this is uh, pretty fresh. Uh, I've been able to just sit with this over the past month. I've been sitting with the elders and the deacons and our ministry team leaders and our community group leaders uh, and really sharing with them specifically what God has been teaching me about the divine foot. Now, part of my daily routine is uh, get through scripture every single year. And to do that, you've got to spend time in the Old Testament, you've got to spend time in the New Testament. And about a month ago, I was in the book of 2 Chronicles. Now, fess up, who has been in the book of 2 Chronicles like over the past, say, few weeks? All right, so four of you, you are going to connect today in a powerful way. But I found myself just reading through 2 Chronicles. And if you're not familiar with it, that's okay, it's the stories of kings, uh, of Israel and kings of Judah. And there were some really good ones and there were some really bad ones. And so as I'm just walking through the story of Second Chronicles, I come to Second Chronicles chapter 25. And that's where I first learned about the divine foot. 
Now, before I read that section of scripture um, where I learned about the divine foot, I wanted to share with you uh, something that I had actually been wrestling with leading up to the divine foot uh, encounter, as it were. Uh, Over the past many, many, many years, uh, every fall, Genesis has always done what would be considered like a topical series. And we try to come up with something that would be catchy and creative and engaging. And the heart of that series is we want to do something that might engage someone who's just not generally interested in coming to church that through a series that we would do here, that they would somehow be engaged and interested in actually coming. We've done this for years. Last year, if you were around, we did a series called Conversations on Life, God, and Other Small Topics. And so we talked about like the hard stuff. We talked about sexuality. We talked about politics. We talked about suffering. We talked about science. And again, the heart of the series was we really hope this will be helpful, not only for men uh, and women who are Christians to think through these issues because they are important, but we also had hoped that people would use the things that we're talking about in here to engage the folks uh, in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, and such. Now, The heart behind doing these series was we really just wanted to connect with people. We really wanted to reach people who just typically would not ever come to church. But to confess something to you, every time I've done a topical series like Conversations, or even we did a series on uh, called I Do, a look at uh, marriage and uh, the challenges and the exciting things of marriage. Every time we've done a series like that, I've always had a very uneasy feeling, so to speak, of God just kind of speaking to me and saying, Michael, do you really think that that's how you're going to reach a ton of people? Just come up with a creative, edgy, engaging series? Like, do you really think that's how it's going to happen? And I just kind of say, well, this is what we're going to do. And, you know, God, I I hope you will bless this. So that's was my mind frame about a little over a month ago. I'm wrestling with the falls coming up. What are we going to do? And asking the elders and others like, hey, what do you think God would have us do in the fall? That was my mindset. Now we uh, turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 25, and this is where I encountered the divine foot. I'm wrestling with God. What do you want us to do as a church in the fall? Should we come up with just something that we've never done before, something where it would just be off the charts and... I came to 2 Chronicles 25. It says this, Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother was Jehodadan from Jerusalem. Amaziah did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, but not wholeheartedly. And I read that verse, and I was like, wow, I've been there. I can connect with this guy. Of, he serves the Lord, but is his heart really always in it? Verse 3, when Amaziah was well established as king, he executed the officials who had assassinated his father. This guy's kind of hardcore. However, he did not kill the children of the assassins, for he obeyed the command of the Lord as written by Moses in the book of the law. Parents must not be put to death for the sins of their children, nor children for the sins of their parents. See, this is why it's exciting reading through Chronicles. Those deserving to die must be put to death for their own crimes. That's the background. Verse 5, then Amaziah organized the army, assigning generals and captains for all Judah and Benjamin. 
And he took a census and he found that he had an army of 300,000 select troops, 20 years old, um, older, all trained in the use of spear and shield. All right, so he's got a pretty bad army, meaning good army, like tough army, 300,000 strong. Uh, He also paid about 7,500 pounds of silver to hire 100,000 experienced fighting men from Israel. So to paint the picture, he's got, he's got a tough army, but he wants to make sure that his army is tougher, bigger, badder than any other army. So he goes and gives uh, 7,500 pounds of silver, which is a lot of coin, uh, to hire 100,000 other troops. Okay, verse 7, and here's the divine foot. But a man of God came to him and said, Your majesty, do not hire troops from Israel. For the Lord is not with Israel. He will not help those people of Ephraim. If you let them go with your troops into battle, you will be defeated by the enemy. No matter how well you fight, you will be defeated by the enemy. No matter how well you fight, God will overthrow you, for he has the power to help you or to trip you up. God has the power to help you, where God has the power also to trip you up. When my eyes came across verse 8, for he has the power to help you or to trip you up, my heart, my head got flooded with all sorts of memories. Memories of when I was just struggling. Memories of like, dang, this is not working. This is not going exactly according to plan. I've been doing this, I've been doing this, and I've been doing this, and just being met with just constant frustration. And so as I came across verse 8, for he has the power to help you or to trip you up, I started thinking, wow, I wonder if all of those times where I was just struggling and frustrated and nothing was going right was actually God sticking his divine foot in my path. So I would not go somewhere where he did not want me to go. And how many times I would just get back up and I would start trying even harder and planning, and strategizing, and, and when I read verse 8, that was my first thought, and I wish I could tell you I just had like only one thought, but I, I had like a lot of different memories of different times of over the just past five, ten years specifically, wow, I wonder if that was God's divine foot trying trying to trip me up so I wouldn't do or I wouldn't go where he did not want me to go. I've experienced the helping hand of God, but I never knew that the divine foot tripping me up was actually, um, could be a good thing from God. And this morning, I wanted to share with you very quickly three things that have really challenged me and I think are going to challenge us as a church as we move forward. Now, as I share these three things, I just have to ask you the question, have you ever experienced the divine foot? Now, you may not have thought about it as, wow, this is a divine foot happening right now, but have you ever experienced times in your life where you're just frustrated, stalled out, you couldn't get going, and the harder you tried, it just didn't seem to make a bit of difference? I think a lot of us would have a story or testimony of how we've experienced the divine hand helping us, but 
I wonder if you would look back over your years, your experience, your stories, your testimonies. I wonder if, even though you didn't know it at the time, what you were experiencing was the divine foot of God. Because he has the power to help, he has the power to trip. Uh, three things I'd share with you very quickly of what I learned from Second Chronicles chapter 25. And we're going to look at those three, but then we're going to really spend more time of what do we do individually, but what do we do as a church in response to the things we learn? Number one is this. God loves us enough to send godly people our way when we need to hear what God has to say. God loves you enough that he will send somebody. He might send multiple somebodies your way for the sole purpose that you can hear what God has to say. Because when you look in 2 Chronicles 25, but a man of God came to him and said, your majesty, what you're doing, don't do it. And if you're Amaziah, you have to be thinking, what's the problem? Like this makes good, perfect sense to build an army that no one could defeat us. We could protect our people, we protect our lands. Strategically, it seems to make a lot of good sense. But a man of God, God sends Amaziah, we don't know who his, who, what his name is, but a man of God came to him and said, your majesty, do not hire troops from Israel, for the Lord is not with Israel. He will not help those people of Ephraim. If you let them go with you you're, with your troops into battle, you will be defeated. He goes on and says, uh, by the enemy, no matter how well you fight, God will overthrow you. That was the message of, listen, you could have the best fight ever, but you'll still lose. You could have 400,000 people against their thousand. Their thousand will still beat your 400,000. It doesn't matter how well you fight, how well trained they are. God has the power to help you. God has the power also to trip you up. Translated for us, even if you do the most incredible job, you are at the top of your game. You're doing everything that you know how to do. If God's not in it, if God's not wanting you to go to that place or head in that direction or accomplish whatever it is you want to accomplish, if God's not in it, you'll get tripped up. Now, for me, when I was getting ready to plant Genesis as a brand new church, and this goes back now almost about six years ago. There was a group of men who very humbly and, and kindly and lovingly came to me and said this almost verbatim. Michael, this is a good thing you have in mind to do, but you're not ready to do the thing you want to do, so don't do it yet. Now, to a guy like me who just wants to do everything yesterday, a, a guy who likes to move pretty quickly when I get an idea, I just I start running. It was not only hard to hear them say, wait, not yet, don't go there. What was even harder for me to hear was, you're not ready. It's not like the situation is not optimal. It was the message of, man, you're not ready to do what you have in mind to do, so wait and see what God might do in the meantime as you grow, as you mature, as you work through what God is wanting you to work through. Now, in that moment, I had a choice. I could say, hey, I really appreciate everything you had to say, but bye-bye. I could have said, I really appreciate the counsel and just said, forget it. I hear what you have to say, but I don't like what you have to say, so I'm going to keep going and doing the direction I want to go. 
Amaziah had that exact same choice. God sent him somebody specifically to say, don't do it. Don't go there. And he had to think in his mind, he's like, this is crazy. No one's got a bigger army than us. Like all of these guys are hardcore trained warriors. And the man of God just simply says, don't go there. If God's not in it, if God's not for it, it's not going to happen. And so what I learned about this is God loves us enough to send godly people our way when we need to hear what God has to say. Amaziah had this moment of like, okay, well, what do I do? You ever had those moments? (laughs) You might be having one today. Well, what do I do then? I don't know what to do. Do I go this way? Do I go that way? And we get stuck in this question of, well, then what on earth do I do? And we end up doing nothing because we can't get past the question of what do I do? I've been there many times. I'm going to guess you have as well. Now, again, it's easy to get stuck on that question of what do I do? And I'm not saying it's a a bad question, but I don't think it's the most helpful question. I think what is a more important question to ask is simply this. What do I really believe about God? And that's a question that applies to no matter what situation or circumstance, no matter what relationship issue, no matter what job issue, no matter what family dynamic issue. It's not what do I do, it's what do I really believe about God? And how you answer that question will always determine the direction you go regardless of the situation or the circumstance. Now, as you read it again, the man of God that was talking with Amaziah told him something about God. And what I want you to catch, the second thing I learned about God that Amaziah teaches us is this. Number two is God is gracious. And some of you might be sitting here and be like, that's not new information. When you see God is gracious, there's something that should happen within your head and heart. That says, you know what? I've heard about a God who is gracious, but am I actually experienced, living, enjoying, walking in the graciousness of God? And what I love about what Amaziah does, God's grace is seen specifically in two ways. He said, God is gracious to provide all we need when we need it. That's uh, Second Chronicles where it says, for he has the power to help you. God can help you. It doesn't matter how bad off you are. It doesn't matter how messed up you are. God is gracious enough to provide all you need exactly when you need it. That is a gracious God. He will help. But his, God is also, his grace is seen in that God is gracious to place his divine foot in our way so that we don't go where he is not. He has the power to help you and he has a, or to trip you up. Now, it'd be very easy for you to just read that verse where he has the power to trip you up. What kind of God is going to trip me up? Like, that is cruel. That is mean. That's harsh. How could God, who is gracious, loving, and kind, also, at times in our life, stick out his divine foot so that we trip? As I've been really wrestling with that question, again, I just... I don't even have time to tell you all the stories, but as I look back and started identifying, wow, that was actually God's divine foot. And I, I went down the trail a little bit. I was like, wow, if, that, if I would have kept going in that direction, 
That would have been devastating to me, my wife, my kids, the community. And so rather than viewing all those times where now I'm understanding, maybe that was just God's divine foot trying to prevent me from not going where he was not. I see that is gracious that God would love you enough to put his divine foot in your path to prevent you from going where he ultimately is not. Now, some of you may remember this uh, because this was about a year and a half ago. I'm going to give you another example of the divine foot, not just for me, but for our church. I remember it was uh, roughly August of 2011. Uh, I put up a big call for a leaders meeting and said, leaders, we got some great stuff going on. You need to hear about it because this is the direction we are going. And so we met at the old place in the, what was the, the, the blue room. And I put up this picture of Genesis South Boston. And I told everyone, guys, this is so exciting. God is leading us to do this. God's calling us to go here and started moving in the direction of we are planting a nether Genesis in South Boston. Again, my heart I can, was in the right place. I was excited to be part of planting another church. I was excited to see another church reach another community that we're currently not reaching. And in my passion and excitement and zeal, I got a lot of other people really excited. And then very quickly, short, shortly thereafter, now I'm understanding, wow, maybe that was a divine foot because there were things that just wasn't working. It wasn't happening. And I found myself working harder and harder and harder trying to make something happen until finally God grabbed a hold of me. He's like, Michael, what are you doing? Like, how, like, do you need a, like a handwritten note in the sky? I, this is not what I have for you guys. Stop trying to force something. And God encouraged me of like, I do believe we're going to be part of planting many churches in the Boston, greater Boston area. But God said, not now. This is not it. This was your plan. And so I had another moment. And our leaders had another moment of, well, what do we do? Do we force something to happen? Or do we just say, God, thank you for being gracious to put your divine foot in our path to prevent us from doing something that ultimately you are not in? Question, can you now think of times where God has put his foot in your path? Not to hurt you, not because he's cruel, but can you think of times, looking back now, that you have a little bit better understanding of what I'm talking about when I say the divine foot? Can you think of times when you're like, wow, that was really gracious of God not to let me go down that path? not to let me get further into that relationship that would have destroyed me. Not to let me jump into that opportunity that looks so sparkly and shiny and good because he just had something different, had something better. God is gracious, whether it's his divine hand helping us or his divine foot telling us not to go further. I just want you to know God's gracious. He will do both. Now, if you're Amaziah, you've already started down this path, you've already invested heavily in the path that you thought seemed just really good. So what do you do? Do you keep going or do you stop? Do you listen to the man of God or not? Because I love his question. He says in Second Chronicles 25.9, Amaziah asked the man of God, but what about all the silver I paid to hire the army of Israel? That's a great question. It's totally fair. I just gave a lot of money away 
to get these troops, and if I do what you're telling me to do, well, what do I do with that? So he goes immediately to the detail or logistic of what about this? And it's honestly, it's a very fair question. What about all the money that I've already spent? And I, I hope you love it like I love it. But his, uh, the man of God's response was this. The man of God replied, the Lord is able to give you much more than this. Isn't that amazing? Man, you can't see beyond 7,500 pounds of silver. What's wrong with you? Don't you know that God could double, triple, quadruple that? And what I learn about this, what I learn about God from this one verse right there is God is generous enough to replace our silver with his gold. And I'm not using gold metaphorically with a finance here. I'm trying to paint the picture of he lost his silver. And the man of God said, don't you know that God is able to give you so much more than this? Because I I feel like what happens is we just get stuck. And we've already headed in a direction. And we're like, I've already invested my, my heart, my emotions, my time, my energy, resources, my finances in going in this direction that I thought was from God. But yet, it's frustration after frustration after frustration. And you think to yourself, well, I, I have to keep going. i got to stay the course. Because I've already got too much of me invested in this path. And what I just want you to hear is Second Chronicles 25, verse 9. The Lord is able to give you so much more. So what you've already thought you've lost, whatever you thought you've invested, God can give you more. God can absolutely give you more. Amaziah, thankfully, rather than ignoring the man of God, and rather than just trying to jump over and get around the divine foot, Amaziah stopped what he had in mind, and he pursued what God had in mind. It says this at the end of the story. Second Chronicles, So Amaziah discharged the hired troops and sent them back to Ephraim. This made them very angry with Judah, and they returned home in great rage. Then Amaziah summoned his courage and led his army to the Valley of Salt. I love that last verse where it says he summoned his courage because he still had a battle to fight. And now his army was the weaker army. But he did what God wanted him to do. And if you read the story, rest of in chapter 25 and 26 and 27, you'll read what God does with this man. But when he got word that he was headed in a direction and doing something that God didn't want him to do, he stopped. He stopped. Three things that I learned is God is absolutely loving enough to send you somebody who will tell you what you need to hear of what God wants you to hear. God is gracious, and his grace is seen in his helping hand and his divine foot. And God is absolutely generous enough to replace our silver with whatever God wants to put in our hands to help us accomplish whatever God wants us to accomplish. Now, I don't claim to obviously know where you are, all of you are today, but I do know this. It's a good chance, like me, you are very familiar with the divine foot. You just didn't know that's what was happening. But as you look back over last week, last month, last year, you're starting to see the grace of God in your life. Yes, through the helping hand, but often also through the divine foot. Now, 
the question that we wrestle with is just simply this. When God is gracious to put his foot in our path, what will we do? Ignore or will we go forward? Now, if you remember what I shared maybe about 25 minutes ago now, I shared with you what I had in mind to do. What I was talking to our elders and deacons and other leaders about was, guys, this is what the fall could look like. This is what we could do. And we're going to do this in order to reach people. And we're going to do this to help just grow the kingdom. And again, all of that was not out of any type of sinful, selfish motivation. It was driven by, we really want to reach people. We want to see people begin their journey with God. We want to see people belong to a community. And we want to see Jesus transform people's lives. And that's when we came to, I came to this question of God asking me point blank, Michael, do you really think that a catchy, creative, edgy series is going to reach people who are far from me? And this is what, I didn't hear an audible voice, but I tell you what, heard it clear as day. It was just simply this, Michael, why don't you do the only thing that you can do? And I just why don't you pray? Rather than trying to work and scheme to accomplish something, why don't you just stop and just start praying and just watch what I could do? Watch what I will do. And when I heard God put that question before me of why not just do the only thing that you can do, I was really convicted And you might not like this, and you might not want to hear it, but I was really convicted with, I don't pray. I don't. I pray, but I don't pray like I should. I talk about prayer. I read about prayer, but I don't pray like I should. I pray for my wife, but I don't pray like I should for my wife. I pray for my kids, but I don't pray for them like I should. And for you, Genesis, like, I don't pray for you like I should. And I just felt like God tore my heart out with that in a good way to say, Michael, I want to give you a new heart, a heart that would just see that that is not only the best thing you could do, for you, your wife, your kids, the church, your neighbors. But it's the only thing that you can do. So, I don't know if that connects with you, but my observations that I make about myself and just those around is that we really want to see God do amazing things, but we don't pray for God to do amazing things. We think about it. We strategize about it. We want to see it happen. But I'm not convinced that we're actually begging God to use us to change the world. I hear husbands and wives talk about, like, I I just want to have a healthy, thriving, enjoyable, God-honoring marriage. But they don't pray for that. And I want to be clear, there's a difference about thinking about something and actually praying about something. We can think about these things, but praying about these things is an altogether different animal. So 
what I want to finish with is rather than just us getting stuck on what I or we don't do, what God has impressed on my heart is just simply this. Michael, what would it look like if you and the entire Genesis community entered into a season of intentional, intense prayer? Not do a sermon series on prayer and not encourage you to read books on prayer, but what would it look like if we just went for it? And so I had one of those moments of like, well, I don't know, prayer's kind of cool, but I got some other ideas that I think will reach more people. And God was like, Michael, you have a moment right here. Will you do what I'm inviting you to do? Or will you, again, walk around, jump over my divine foot? And so after praying about it, talking about it with the other elders and deacons and just other leaders, uh, we're pretty excited to say uh, we're going to take a season, uh, step back from Acts, and we're going to enter into a season of what the men and women in Acts actually did. I don't know if, if, if you haven't been here, uh, today's your first day. As I mentioned earlier, we've been in Acts for a while. And uh, one of the telling stories about the men and women that God used to change the world is they just prayed like crazy. They prayed not only because it was the most important thing to do, they prayed because it was the only thing they knew to do. And God used this praying community to change the world that you and I live in. So we're not taking a break from Acts. We're going to enter into a season of doing what they did in Acts. And uh, starting this Wednesday, we're going to enter into a season of what we're just going to call 40 Days of Prayer. And our entire church, everybody, everything shuts down so we can do this. Our Genesis Kids ministry right now, they're hearing the same message you guys are hearing today. So they're getting excited. We're going to do what for the next 40 days? And so all of our kids, and so if you're a parent, know that your kids are getting fired up back there to enter into a season of prayer. Our student ministries, our community groups, our ministry teams, everything that we have been doing... All of us, for the next 40 days, are going to move into a very intentional time of prayer. But I felt like the invitation that God gave us was not just be intentional with prayer. Michael, be intense with prayer. You're an intense guy anyway, so what would it look like to be intense with prayer? And so this is what we are excited uh, to invite you to be part of. Starting this Wednesday is day one. But every morning... uh, From 6.30 to 8 a.m., we'll have prayer gatherings here. Every morning from 6.30 to 8 a.m. You might only be able to come for 15 minutes. You might only be able to come for a half hour. But we're going to be here and we're going to be praying. We're actually going to carve out that entire section over there. uh, And that's going to be where all our prayer time is going to be happening. Yes, there is something to be said. You could pray in your car. You could pray at, at home before you go to work. But what we sense and feel and and agree that God is asking us to do is get together. Get together and pray. Yes, it's good to pray when you're by yourself in your car, just going about your day. There's a time for that. But the time we feel like God is inviting us to is get together and pray. 
every morning. We're just doing Monday through Friday, 6.30 to 8.30, or 6.30 to 8 a.m. Evening prayer. Every night, starting this Wednesday for 40 nights, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m., we'll have prayer gathering here. If, again, it's, we'll be praying for two hours. If you can come for a half hour, come for a half hour. If you can come for two hours, come for two hours. If you can come for at least one night a week, two nights a week, that's great. But we will be here for 40 nights praying, asking God to be God, asking God to do amazing in our midst, learning how to listen to God together as a community. So every morning, every evening, we will be gathering for a time of prayer. Uh, those prayer gatherings will be led by different elders and deacons, but we will be here praying. Prayer journals. We have a gift that we want to give you. This is, they're all up on the stage right now. They're going to get passed to you right now. So whoever's helping to pass these out, that's your cue. But what we wanted to give you was a journal. Uh, this is a, a very simple, very basic journal But our heart in giving you this journal is that you could chronicle your journey with God over the next 40 days. It's nothing fancy, it's nothing magical, but we wanted to encourage you, invite you, challenge you to take this journal with you wherever you go. It's small enough, you can carry it with you. And what we're asking, what we're inviting you to do is write down your prayers, write down the things that you're praying about. And then as you go, and I promise you over the next 40 days, you will have pages and pages and pages filled. Like, wow, that's amazing. God did that. And the reason you know that God answered something is because you had a place where it was actually written down. In your prayer journal is also, uh, you've got four prayer stickers that just look like this. Prayer, what might God do? You can decorate yours like I've decorated mine. It's very creative, I know. But... uh, If all of us do the same thing, you might want to put your name on yours, so I don't accidentally pick up your prayer journal. Also, in your prayer journal is a calendar. Starting this Wednesday is day one, and over the next 40 days, and what we've done is just very simply, uh, each day of the week, you can pray about anything and everything, but one of the things that we'd love you to pray about as you go throughout your entire week is the different things that we've got down. And there's a a prayer legend, as it were, on the back explaining what these different words mean. Now, one of the days it says, pray for Woburn. Well, what I would encourage and challenge you to do is, well, pray for Woburn, because that's where our church community gathers, and we want to serve and bless Woburn. But if you live in Winchester, if you live in Arlington, if you live in Stoneham or Wakefield or Wilmington, wherever you live, pray for your city on that day. So that's meant just to serve as a helpful guide to you. Please make use of this prayer journal. I promise you it will encourage you. Prayer wall. There was some construction that took place this week, and now this is our prayer wall. Specifically, we've got four prayer frames. And uh, you came in this morning, and there are some note cards with a pen on your chair. And what I'm inviting you to do today is start with three things that you want to pray about. It could just be someone's name, just first name only is fine. It could be a situation that only you know, then you can just write job. You can write marriage. You can write whatever it is that you want to pray about. And when we get ready to celebrate communion in a few minutes, 
uh, either before or after communion, however you want to do it, I want you to take your note card and take it to the prayer wall over there. Because over the next 40 mornings and 40 nights, our church is going to pray that God would answer each of those different requests. You don't have much room to write, so keep it one word, two words, three words. But I believe we will all be encouraged over the next 40 days to see thousands of cards hanging in those frames as a reminder of we've been called to pray, we've been invited to pray, and so that's exactly what we're going to do. So please, before you leave today, take three. There's another 2,000 note cards over there. So if you want to write more, write more. But start with at least three. That's the prayer wall. Prayer, pray for me. When you go and uh, drop off your card on the wall, if you would want somebody praying for you by name every day for the next 40 nights, 40 days, if you want someone taking your name to heaven every single day, then on one of those clipboards over there, just put your name. You can put your full name, you can put your middle name, you can put your nickname because God knows who you are. But our elders and our deacons are going to pray over, hopefully, hundreds and hundreds of names. Every day for 40 days, we will commit to praying for you by name. And I just wonder what what, what God might do when we as a community start seeking Him in prayer. Uh, Prayer goal. You can write this in your journal if you'd like, but what I would encourage you to do is set a goal. Because it will be really easy to leave here and say, man, this is awesome, this is great, but bad timing, Michael. Like, this is just like the most wicked busy season of the year. And if this would have happened in like October or November or January, or it would have been so much better, but you picked the worst 40 days ever. I can't do any of this because I'm just too busy. What I would challenge or encourage you with is this might be the most important thing you do. This might be the most important thing you will do because it's not just about 40 days and then we're like, phew, we're done. We're off the hook. We don't have to pray anymore. I think what's going to happen in these next 40 days is it's going to transform us. I really think it's going to transform our church. I think it's going to transform the people who call this church home. So you may be busy. I'm not going to argue with you. You may have a lot going on. That's probably true. But this might be the most transformational, most important thing that you could give yourself to. So set a prayer goal. So for me and Kyla, we've got a few prayer goals. We're going to take uh, these stickers and we're going to give them to a few different people and say, hey, some of our neighbors specifically and say, hey, here's a sticker. And the heart of the sticker is we're, we're going to be praying for the next 40 days. Is there anything that I could pray for you and your family about? And so we're going to go to a few different of our neighbors and ask them that very question. If they look at us like we're crazy, then we'll just pray that they don't look at us like that anymore. But that's one of the things we're going to do. One of the other things that we're going to do as a family is we're going to spend time. Uh, me and Kyla, we pray with the kids, but not like we should. And so we're going to take a, a devoted 15 minutes every day to pray specifically with our kids and then Kyle and I, on top of that, are going to spend an additional 15 minutes in prayer. Now, that might not sound like much, but I'll be honest with you, where I'm praying right now with Kyla, uh, we pray as something comes up, we pray before meals, and we pray before we go to bed. And if you've ever prayed in bed, 
Well, there you go. You know how that goes sometimes. <laughs> so we're going to take, uh, and listen, I'm not asking you to, to set a goal of like, well, I'm going to pray 23 hours a day. Well, you won't. Just set a goal of what you want to do, of what you think God wants you to do. And I would challenge you with this, push yourself, push yourself to go probably a little bit beyond what you think you might be able to do. So you've got morning prayer, evening prayer, prayer journals. And by the way, parents, kids are getting a journal just like this. It doesn't look like this one, but we made a special journal specifically with the kids with scripture verses in it, with pictures, all that kind of stuff. And they're going to be coming to you parents and saying, hey, I got this. What do I do with this now? Can you help me fill in my prayer journal every single day? So you've got prayer journals. You've got prayer wall right there. Sign your name up if you want us praying for you. Set a prayer goal. Day one begins this Wednesday. Day one is this Wednesday. And day 40 will be Sunday, July, or July, Sunday, uh, September 29th. It's amazing uh, how God used Second Chronicles chapter 25. I tell you what, I'm not going to forget that chapter for a long time to come. What's amazing is uh, I've read that chapter so many times and it never even jumped out to me. But for some reason, God used that passage uh, about a month and a half ago to grab hold of my attention. And I want to pay attention. And I want to pray and I want to pray with you. So I'm going to pray right now. And um, worship team's going to come back up. We're going to might be a little bit chaotic because the wall's over there. So figure out how you're going to get over there, but invite you, if you are a Christian, to celebrate communion today. And whether you do this before or after, take a clothespin and put your prayer, whatever it may have been, up on the prayer wall.